Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Welcome to Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So we assemble every single Lord's Day, every single Sunday, to worship and honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are thankful that we serve a risen king, that the tomb is empty, and we have the promised Holy Ghost inside of us, the down payment that one day we will rise just like Jesus arose. And so this morning we're going, or this afternoon rather, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse number 16. 1 Corinthians 15 is where you'll find the central passage that teaches the gospel of Jesus Christ as given to the Apostle Paul. Now here in this passage, we're going to begin in verse 16. The Word of God says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. See, at this time, there was a debate going on in the Corinthian church. That debate centered on the fact that they did not believe that people actually would raise from the dead. And Paul is confronting that error. He is saying there is a bodily resurrection. Our bodies will die, will rise again. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, the, and what he's saying is, if you're teaching that people don't come back, if you're teaching that you never see people again, if you're teaching there is no bodily resurrection of the dead, then Christ is still dead. And he said, and he's going to continue in this passage. Look at verse 17. He said, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. The foundational aspect of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was his blood shed at Calvary that paid for our sins, and it was his resurrection on that glorious Easter morning that triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. And from that moment forward, each and every believer, each and every person who is seated and positioned in Christ, by faith is promised the same resurrection. We believe and we hold dearly this promise that just as Jesus Christ was placed in a borrowed tomb, every single believer in Jesus Christ, you may have bought your grave, you may have bought your urn, you may have bought your tomb, but the word of God says it was borrowed because there's coming a day very soon when Jesus Christ will split the sky, the trumpet will sound, and Christ will shout, and the dead in Christ will rise up, and you will no longer and your loved ones will no longer be bound by six feet of dirt. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so he's saying, if you believe that there are nobody raised from the dead, you're still in your sins. The foundational aspect of the gospel is the physical bodily resurrection from the dead. Now, he goes on because, if, as you know, the Apostle Paul, he likes to really nail a point home. Amen? He was a good preacher, right? He liked to nail it home. Now, let's continue in this. 
He said, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. That's talking about our loved ones. It's an amazing concept. The Bible teaches that our loved ones who die in faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says they are asleep. Hallelujah. Do you know somebody that's asleep today? Do you know somebody that's asleep today? The Bible gives you a promise. They are not dead. They are asleep. And there's coming a morning very soon, church. There's coming a morning very soon that Jesus Christ will awake the bride. All those who are asleep in their graves will rise up and meet the Lord in the air. What a glorious day that will be. That's the rapture of the church, the catching away of the bride. And we love the Lord Jesus Christ and his promise. Amen. So it says that they are asleep in Christ. Now look at verse number 19, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19. If in this life only... We have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. I want to tell you something. If in this life only, if in this life only you're considered a Christian, you are of all men most miserable. Because you see, Contrary to the way that America has taught the church for 2,000 years has been persecuted. The church for 2,000 years has been kicked, has been killed, has been filleted, has been persecuted all over the world. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has been the scourge of the earth. And it will not change until Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his earthly kingdom. We will be the hunted. We will be the persecuted. We will be the ones who are in tribulation. Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has overcome the world. Amen. And so I want, to, I want to talk to you about we are not most miserable. Do you know some miserable Christians? Do you know that some people have a miserable Christian life? The reason they have a miserable Christian life is because they're putting all their eggs into this basket. We have a promise of an eternal life with God in glory. The promise of Jesus Christ is just as sure today as the day he rose up 2,000 years ago on that first Easter morning. And so we believe that we are not most miserable because we have a promise that is greater than anything this life could ever give. We have a promise. We have a hope. We have an eternal inheritance in glory with the king. And so I want to talk to you about a few things that are given to us that make us not miserable. You know, whenever you're miserable, there's not much that can make you happy. But you see, the Lord is trying to get you to get to a different perspective. If you believe, like Paul, he's using this as, a, as an example. He said, you are most miserable 
when you're not looking with the eyes from an eternal perspective. God is commanding and commissioning us from this point forward, no matter what the trials that we may be facing in the days ahead, God is commanding and commissioning us to keep our eyes locked upon eternity because the here and now, if you fix yourself on the here and now, you will become most miserable. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Now, how do we not become most miserable? Well, there's a, there's a few things that, that we're going to talk about that make us not miserable. Number one, an extravagant love. An extravagant love. Number two, an exclusive gospel. And number three, an empty tomb. Number one, an extravagant love. Do you know that the world is at enmity with God? The, God said that the world is his enemy. Ever since Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, ever since Satan deceived Eve and they fell into sin, the world has been at enmity against God. And, and if you love this world, then you are setting yourself up against God. But if you love God, the world will hunt you and the world will hate you. And it might even hurt you, but it will not be victorious over you you because God has given you the victory through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we see an extravagant love because God and the world are at odds. They're at enmity with one another. But the Bible clearly teaches in John chapter 3 that even though God was at enmity with the world, he loved the world. For God so loved the that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That whosoever one time was you, one time was me, maybe somebody that's listening to this message, the whosoever means the drug addict, it means the person that's been in and out of jail, it means the prostitute, it means the thief, it means the person who feels like they're not worthy. Well, I've got some good news for you. Nobody's been worthy. God didn't die on a cross because we were worthy. He died on the cross because he loved us. The Bible said God in Romans 5 chapter 8 and in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 the Bible says God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. The Bible teaches clearly beyond a shadow of a doubt God didn't have to but he chose to love you because he's a benevolent father and his love knows no bounds it is an extravagant love and if you are not partaking of that love I challenge you to look upon your father and remember that although this world hates God and although you one time you were a sinner opposed to God God still loved you and looked at you with eyes of compassion and mercy and he allowed his beautiful son the Lamb of God to be slain and marred and crucified upon that tree at Calvary because God loved you. The Bible says in John 1 29 whenever John the Baptist looked at Jesus he said behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Do you know that there was only one lamb that could have done that? There was only one lamb that was ever good enough to have done that. 
and that is God himself. God becoming incarnate. God in the flesh. Amen. Hallelujah. No man could purchase his ticket to glory. No man could wash away his sin. No man could get his sin stain off of himself. It had to be the pure, spotless Lamb of God who didn't have to, but chose to. God commended his love towards you. That means he showed it. That means he displayed it. That means he extravagantly openly showed his love for mankind for all the world in that he allowed the son the beautiful son who knew no sin he allowed that beautiful son who knew no sin to have your sin and my sin and the sin of the world placed upon him every lie every misdeed every bad thought every blasphemous act God allowed those sins to be placed upon his beautiful, spotless, innocent, holy Lamb of God. And that Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world. Hey, amen, hallelujah, we bear our sin and our shame no more. Though our sins were as scarlet, the Bible says we will be made white as snow. Hallelujah. The 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 saint has a past, but we also have a future. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. How many of you know also it not only is God's gospel extravagant, but it is also exclusive. There is only one way. Amen. Do you know the way? Jesus said he is the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, Jesus said. Jesus said he is the only way. There's no way. You can't do it on your own. You can't earn it. You can't go to Buddha. You can't go to yoga. You can't go to Confucius. You can't go to Islam. You can't go to self-righteousness. You can't go to Christ consciousness. You have to go to Jesus Christ, God incarnate, paying for your sin on the cross and rising from the dead on the third day. He said, that he's the way. Amen. It is an exclusive gospel. There are no if, ands, or buts about it. There is one exclusive gospel. No other way. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 that there is none other name given unto us under heaven whereby man must be saved. It's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that you can say God and you may not be persecuted but when you begin to mention the name of Jesus all the demons in in the world will begin to get riled up and start pointing at you and mocking you and persecuting you but I love the name of Jesus there's something about that name amen you know that song oh there's something about that name because it was that Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me amen there's only one it's an exclusive gospel there's only ever been one person who is fully God and fully man. Only one person has ever been fully God and fully man. That means there's only one person that could ever have paid our sin debt. We don't look for presidents. We don't look for popes. We look to Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Emmanuel, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We look unto him and him alone, and he is our Savior. And do you know, not only is there only one way, not only is there only one God-man, but there's also only one person who's ever been raised from the dead to die no more. 
Amen. Do you know that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he had to die again. He couldn't be the first fruits. Jesus raised up a young boy from the dead, but he had to die again. But there's only been one person that's ever died and come back to life that's been given an eternal body, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that we have an extravagant gospel, and we have an exclusive gospel, and here's one more. There's an empty tomb in this gospel. Amen? There's an empty tomb in this gospel. You know what else has been empty? You know what else is empty? Your sin debt is empty. All the sins, all the sins that you ever committed have been emptied out. The Bible says in Colossians 2 verse 14, you know how I remember that one? It's like Valentine's Day, 2.14. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14 that our transgressions, he took the, the things, the ordinances that were written against us, and he nailed it to his cross. Those things that you have done, those things that you have done in, in God's sight when they were sinned, the Bible says that Jesus took those things that were written against you and he nailed them to his cross. So your sin debt has been emptied. Amen. He is like in, in, in a bathtub. You, plug, you pull that drain and all the, all the water gets, comes out. Amen. You, we had a bathtub full of sin. It was nasty sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he pulled that plug and all our sin debt emptied out and went down that drain down to the pit of hell. Amen. And we bear the sin and we bear the shame no more. Hallelujah. Praise God. So the tomb was empty. Our sin debt was empty. You know what else has been emptied? You know what else has been voided out? The enemy's power over your life. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 28, the, the Bible says that all power, Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. All power. You know that the enemy has no authority over the life of a believer you have no right allowing the enemy to run roughshod over you. You have been bought with a price. You are a child of the king. The blood has bought you. The spirit has sealed you. And the enemy has no authority over you. Amen. Hallelujah. The tomb is empty. Your sin debt is empty. And the enemy's power over you has been emptied. Amen. Now that's awesome. That's something to shout about. Hallelujah. Amen. That's something to shout about. You know, the Bible also says, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. The, the Bible says that the hope of glory is in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. As a blood-bought, blood born-again believer, child of God, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You take dominion over those principalities coming against you. You can do it because you are a child of God and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The only way the enemy can run roughshod over you is when he begins to attack you in your mind. That's why the Bible says we're supposed to take captive those thoughts and bring them into the obedience of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're commanded to do to fight that good fight fight back, stand up, say, no, no, I am a blood-bought, born-again Christian, and you have no authority over this life. 
in Jesus' name, you've got to go. Every bad thought, every suicidal thought, every thought of sin, every transgression, every temptation, every desire of the enemy to, to bring you down to a place where he can have you. His desire is to have you, but God's desire is to protect you. And so we see here that it is an, an empty promise here. The tomb has been empty. Our sin debt has been empty, and the enemy's power over you has been empty. And like we said at the beginning, the tomb was empty. Christ's grave was empty. And soon, and very soon, coming to a cemetery near you, every single grave, every single tomb that has a child of God in it, soon and very soon, Coming to those cemeteries, those gravesides close to us, those urns close to us, coming to a family member near you, those graves will release their power. The power of the grave has been broken, and when Jesus says, come up here, it will release our loved ones. And in a moment of time, gravity will lose its grip on us as well. Because the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with our Lord. Hallelujah. When that trumpet sounds and Christ shouts, the graves will burst open. The dead in Christ will be thrust up in the air. They will be shot up in the air just like Jonah was shot up out of the, out of the mouth of that whale. That, that big old whale had to throw Jonah up out. He couldn't hold him no more. It was only three days, and God said, It's been enough. Spit him out. And when he spit him out, Jonah landed on dry land. And how many of you know that when Christ says it's enough and he shouts, then the dead in Christ are going to come up out of those tombs just like Jonah came up out of that well. Hallelujah. The dead in Christ are just asleep, but their graves will soon be just as empty as Jesus Christ. The Bible says in that last verse, if you'll turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to try to get over there. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this last verse. Verse 20, but now, now, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. The first fruits is a promise. You have to go back to the book of Leviticus and look at the law, but the, the law of the first fruits, that was that was the, that promise of the harvest that would come. This was the beginning and we're believing for that which is to come. And the Bible says that God raised up Jesus Christ from the dead to be the first fruit. So when you want to know what you're going to be like, you look to Jesus. You look to see how he was raised from the dead. You look to see that, and you will see what God's going to do in the life of the believer. Amen. God has given us, God has given us an extravagant gospel, an exclusive gospel, an empty tomb, and an eternal inheritance. That's four E's. Extravagant love. An exclusive gospel. Amen. An empty tomb. And an eternal inheritance. 
And the Bible says whenever we take communion, when, which we're about to do, whenever we take communion, there is one reason why we do it. Do you know what that reason is? We take communion because Jesus said to. That's why we take. We don't take communion to get rich. We don't take communion to get anything. We take communion because Jesus said to. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We honor him. We honor him as the lamb. We honor him as the spotless lamb. We honor that blood that brought us out of Old Testament into New Testament reality. We honor him because it's that blood that brought us nigh unto God. It's that blood that washed away our sin. It's that blood that purchased us and gave us an eternal inheritance in glory with God Almighty. So when we take communion, we are showing or proclaiming his death till he comes. We are doing what he said to do till the trumpet sounds. And soon and very soon, that trumpet's going to sound. That, that heavenly trumpet's going to shout. It's going to be the most beautiful and glorious sound you've ever heard. And as soon as it sounds, you're going to see dirt begin to fly. And you're going to see the dead in Christ that are asleep right now. You're going to see them rise up in the air. And we're going to shout hallelujah. We're next. And then we're all going to go together in the air and worship the Lord forevermore. Amen. God is good. And he is greatly to be praised. I want to tell you, we, we are not like those who are most miserable. Only those who do not understand the extravagance, the exclusiveness, the emptiness, and the eternal perspective would be miserable. But when you understand those four realities, you will never be a miserable Christian. Now, we understand that in this life, we are the offscourge. We are the persecuted. We are the ones looked down upon. We are the hunted. We understand that, but we are also the victorious. We are also the victorious, and we understand that too. And when we hold these four realities, we will never be miserable, no matter what our lot in life is. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. All right. Heavenly Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Oh, God, we bless you today. Lord, we bless you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together. And Lord, we pray that you would bless the hearers of this message. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen, amen.